Blog Talk Radio. I stroll through the pictures What I've left behind You want again I'm locked up in memories They all intertwine The memories in In my mind I know tomorrow Cause that dawn will come You will never know Just what you've done Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Stop Child Abuse Now, Scan Radio, and this is show number 3180. This show is recorded, and you can access it anytime on the uh, NASCA website. That's nasca.org. I'm going to begin the show by telling you a little bit about NASCA, who is bringing you this show. NASCA is the National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. And here is their mission statement. We have a single purpose at NASCA, to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas, and neglect. And we do so with only two goals. One, educating the public, especially as related to helping society get over its taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, CSA. Presenting facts showing child abuse to be a pandemic worldwide problem that affects everyone. Two, offering hope and healing through numerous paths providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse and information for anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. And tonight, on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Friday nights, we have special guests as our speaker. Tonight's special guest is Carrie Kelly from Sunnyvale, California a child abuse survivor abandoned by her biological parents, abused by foster parents, traumatized by bullying and betrayals in love, and worst of all, blinded by being shaken too hard as an infant. Yet she has risen from the ashes to be not only enjoying every moment of her life now, but also actively pursuing her vision to make the world a better place for children. Carrie is an author of Living Resiliently, 
a heroic story that provides the reader with points to ponder, which can effectively help one in overcoming sorrows. Carrie is a woman with a mission, a passion to create a support system for women to overcoming issues that prevent them from experiencing loving and deeply connected relationships. Carrie was featured in an I Am Enough article and shared her heart and story with such depth, authenticity, and vulnerability, you will be powerfully moved. Quote, I am passionate about advocating for awareness and prevention of child abuse, unquote, she says. Quote, and my life experience is such that I feel compelled to provide support to adult survivors, unquote. She goes on. I am so excited to have been featured in the March 2023 edition of the RHG magazine. Carrie's the author of Black, Blind, and Female. In it, Carrie receives a request for forgiveness from her long-dead adoptive mother. In order to find the freedom of forgiveness and the ecstasy of unconditional love, Carrie is compelled to come to terms with long-held feelings of bitterness and anger. And I'll say I'm very excited to talk to Carrie, and I'm going to um, introduce her and let her begin. Carrie, please go ahead. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for having me today. I am so honored to be the guest on our uh, on this program tonight. <clears throat> well, we're honored to have you. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. So um, what I can do is share... Um, well, the introduction did a lot of the work, did a lot of the heavy lifting for me. So um, let me just start with um, my uh, my eyesight is damaged because of um, shaking baby syndrome, but also at the same time I was being shaken, my head got bashed into a wall and fluid built up on my brain. And I didn't get medical attention for 10 whole days after that. At the time, I was only 14 months old, and I was in the process of being adopted by a woman who believed that I didn't like her because every time she came near me, I would cry. And uh, her, her frustration resulted in that shaking me and bashing my head. So... Um, the end result of that is that I have lost some of my eyesight. My running joke is that I have enough eyesight to get in trouble, but not enough to get a driver's license. And I have seen the way some people that have normal eyesight drive, and I could drive just as bad. <laughs> so um, I went back into the foster care system until I was four years old. And then I got adopted by another abusive family. And 
And um, one of the things that fuels my work of now, today, is the fact that there were people that knew very clearly that the house I was being adopted into at four years old wasn't going to be a safe place. So um, all the abuse that I went through, once I found out that people knew and didn't speak up, I have internalized that to make me want to advocate for people that know something to do something. Um, The other thing that happened is I met the social worker that placed me in that home, and she let me know that she did not like that family that she was placing me in, and she placed me anyway. So some of the work that I do now is connecting with some of the social workers that are working for the Department of Children and Family Services, and I tell them my story, and I also encourage them to find ways not to place children in a family that they themselves do not like. Um Some of the things that also took place while I was growing up is I uh, found that I had a singing voice. Um, When I was eight years old, I was in um, the children's choir at the church, and I got to lead my very first song by myself at eight years old. And I remember people that were in another room kind of peeking out the door looking to see who was singing because nobody had heard me sing before. So that was one thing. Um, I think I could, I mean, it helps if I can get some, um, some questions or if there's any other questions that you might have for me to keep this going because I, <laughs> I feel like I have a lot of experiences that I could draw <laughs> upon. I just need to, you know, get them in order so um, this interview goes in a coherent way. <laughs> okay. Well, I, um, as I mentioned to you earlier, I read your book today, and I have not questions, some questions, some comments about it. That works. Um, yeah. I'm trying to find my notes. I don't know how to use this. Oh, here it is. I found it. I'm I'm on uh, Kindle. I'm on Kindle and I looked up notes. I'm proud of myself. (laughs) Great. Great job. Our tech savvy kicks in at some point. I want to say um, this. Quote from page 27, I was not always happy and joyful about being alive. And I'm going to say I totally, that was that was like I was talking. I could have said that. I was not always happy. I am now, as you are now, um, from what I've read in your book. And so I want to just point out to the listening audience that there's hope. There is hope for a happy, fulfilled life. There really is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's not, it's not, um, 
Yeah, when you when you experience trauma at a very young age and you don't experience any healing for it, it can really uh, keep you in a state of hopelessness and depression and, you know, it, it makes you feel like you would like to throw your life away. I mean, that was, there was a one-woman show that I did called From Garbage to Gold, and I actually wear a garbage bag and talk about how I felt like my life was no better than the trash. And um, the turnaround process was long, but what I can say is that there is a light inside. And no matter how dark the rest of the area is, if you can focus on the tiny light that is shining regardless of all the darkness, that is the little piece of hope that can turn everything around. Uh, it, it might start out as small as a pen light, but if you can focus on it, that light can get bigger and bigger and bigger, and it can turn into, you know, a roaring flame that will light your passion and propel you to um, find find the joy and focus on the joy. Um, so that would be something that I would encourage any adult survivor that's feeling like they want to throw their life away. Find the joy that you can focus on in the moment and just take that moment and hold on to that moment as long as you can until you're strong enough to do better. That's beautiful. Thank you. Um, Another another highlight I made was I have learned that nothing takes the place of self-love. Yes, because if you don't have a level of love for yourself, you're not able to express it to other people. And there's this, there's this thing of the misery loves company, but, you know, <clears throat> and misery, like attracts like. So when you're miserable and you don't have self-love, you end up attracting people around you that don't love you either. And um, it's, not, it's not the same thing as being um, a, a child and defenseless and being abused. It's different when you are able to make choices and um, your your choices will allow you to draw people to you that will not treat you um, with dignity and respect. So um, at some point you have to find a little, it's just, I mean, it's just like that pen light. There's a little piece of I love you that is all just for you, and you hold on to that until you love yourself enough. Um, you know, there's, you, sometimes you have to find that one thing. Like if you look in the mirror and the only thing you can find that you love about yourself is your smile, then you say, I love my smile, and then you smile more. Okay, if it's your eyes, 
look in your eyes and you say, oh, I love my eyes. And you pay attention, you know, you look yourself in the eye and say, I love you. Um, so, you know, these are just little things, little tools that I found not without help. I mean, just like I'm sharing on this program here, somebody will hear my voice. I heard somebody's voice that um, shared these tools and tips with me, and they worked. So I'm passing it along. Great. Thank you. And I I know that you talked in your book about passing along your experience to try and reach other people and, and help them accept their experiences, too. And you do such a great job of, of offering specific suggestions of stuff to do. I really like that in that book. Yeah, I thought I wanted to be proactive with this book. I thought I wanted to do something to help other people find their own level of resilience. Because um, when, once I, honestly, once I heard, once I found out that I survived shaken baby syndrome, and a traumatic brain injury when I was only 14 months old. When you look at the statistics for that, I realized I felt like that was miraculous, and it felt like it was a a mission, uh, I don't know, it was like this, I, I was like, I can't just not do anything after surviving surviving such horrific abuse and the way I survived it because most people that go through something like that, they end up either being a vegetable or severely um, um, mentally um, deficient. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Or they end up dead and I could have ended up dead and I I didn't, <clears throat> um, and and I was only 14 months old. So like when I realized that I could have been gone before I even saw my second birthday, I just realized that there had to be um, something for me to do that was bigger than what I was doing at the time when I found the story, when I found out that I survived all that. Um, The other thing that was funny is because before I found out that, I didn't think I was all that special. You know, I just thought, oh, oh well, you know, I'm I'm making the best of it. I'm doing the best I can. Now, also being an adopted child, there was always somebody in my life asking me about trying to find my birth family, and I didn't, I wasn't interested until I heard, um, I heard a story that was, turned out not to be true about how I actually lost my eyesight, and that story made me so angry that I went looking for the birth story because now I wanted to find my birth family because I had all this anger and bitterness toward them that I wanted to, you know, uh, two things. One, I wanted to show them that just because they abused me, um, I I still had a decent life. 
And and the other thing is, you know, why would you take out your frustrations on an innocent child and cause me to lose my eyesight? Well, you know, I I was told that my birth family did that. And then when I went and actually got the true story, I found out that it wasn't my birth family that did that. It was an adoptive family that did that. So um, that's, that was an interesting story and lesson to, to learn, to find out. And, um, you know, dealing with uh, uh, the system as it was when I was still in it back in the 1970s, um, it's different now. There's, like, open adoption. There's things that people can do to find their birth family, and there's also the whole DNA movement now where you put your DNA in and you can find birth family. So I've done some of that, and I was able to find some of my birth family, but uh, not. It, it hasn't panned out like, um, like I thought it would. It's not that, you know... Uh, movie happy ending that <laughs> you see with those reunion shows on TV. It didn't really work out like that, but I have a wonderful life now. I'm actually a grandma, and I was able to have grandchildren while ever giving birth. <laughs> Yay, good to, job. Right? Okay. Yeah. So my secret is to... Marry a man who already has children and let his children bring you the grandchildren, but you can love them as if they were your uh <clears throat> as if they were your birth grandchildren, right? I mean, I feel like they are. Um and they are the ones that bring me a lot of joy right now, but they're also the ones that keep me motivated to keep doing the advocacy work for adult survivors to heal from their wounds and to find people to help prevent future children from being abused. Those four grandchildren are um, are very motivational for me. So there's that. Um, That's wonderful. Yeah, thank you. Um. I like this line. I mean, I don't like this one. I, I recognize this line. I stayed with people who were not treating me well because I thought that was all I deserved. And I know that's why I stayed with partners for many years when they it wasn't good because I thought that was I, – I don't know that I thought that, you know, consciously – but I felt so much shame that um, I, I think I did. Please tell us your experience with that. Oh, yes. that That's what I was talking about when I said there's no substitute for self-love. You know, that shame, mm-hmm. that shame mm-hmm. that can just wrap around you and squeeze the love out of you because, you know, you just... <clears throat> One thing about shame is that it keeps you secretive. Like you don't want to tell anybody what you've been through because 
they're going to judge you or they're going to look down on you or it's going to be something. Your mind can tell you all the reasons why you can't tell anybody what what you've been through. And then um, that attitude, that in, inner thought process, that inner mindset will um, cause you to, to hang on to something that looks like love that really isn't. Um, I remember one of my relationships, I thought that because this person was so in, uh, in into me, like I thought because he didn't want me to um, spend time with anybody but him, to me that felt like unconditional love. But what it actually was, what it turned out to be, was his insecurity, Um, you know, because he felt like um, he wasn't enough for me that I would end up leaving him. And so any little bit that I spent any little time or energy or attention that I spent with anybody else upset him. And for two and a half years, I thought that that was such a good thing. All he wants is me. I'm his whole world. And, and, and like, no, I felt smothered and, and, and just, it, it felt stifling. Um, and the ironic thing is he's the one who broke up with me. And, like, after he left me, it took a while for me to feel the relief that was different now that I didn't have all that stifling, you know, uh, contracting, constricting energy around me. I was able to just be myself. And um, it was just a lot better. It was a lot better. But, like, you know, it took him to leave me before I got there. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I identify with that 100%. Yeah, I was in that relationship where I thought, oh, yeah, he just loves me so much. That's why he won't let me go out the door, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, yes. It's, it, it can be it can be challenging. Um, yeah. So let's see. One of the other things that um, is going on that I I I would love now. This is a question to put out on this network. I've been working on the the next level of healing on this journey. And because there were people that knew uh, that I was being abused and they didn't want to address it, I am looking for that answer, the answer to people, like if there is somebody that could give me this answer, the answer to this question, when you know there is an abuser and 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 that they are um they've been abusive to people 
but you don't want to get them in trouble. So they're allowed to continue their abuse. I mm-hmm. I want to know, I want an answer to those people who don't want the abuser to get in trouble. Why don't you want that abuser to get in trouble? And why do you um, try to protect that abuser while that person is still being abusive? I don't know how else to to put that, I can give you, um, I can give you a scenario, like there's, you know, the woman who um, knows that her, um, the man she's married to is abusive to her children, and she knows this, but she will stay in that relationship. Um, why? Why would you do that? And I'm I'm yeah. I'm wondering if there are um if there's answers to that, like real answers to that. Because the reason why I'm I'm going here is because if we can find why that abuser is protected and convince people that that abuser should not be protected, I think it will reduce the level of child abuse. It may not knock it all the way out, but I think that it will reduce it significantly because the statistics that we have only come from the ones that get reported. But when abusers are being protected, those numbers don't show up in the statistics. So we have a lot more child abuse going on than we know about because those abusers are being protected. Yes. I can respond to this, Carrie, a little bit because I asked people once why my mother protected my dad. She knew about it. Why would she do that? You know, I've asked people over the years, and I've heard different answers. One answer is she was madly in love with them. One answer is she was terrified. I could see that. I could see her being in shock, at least at first, and being unable to respond because of the shock. Um, I also um, can see desire to harm the child on the part of the mother, which I think might have been true. In my mother's case, I think she was jealous of me. My dad told me she was. So, and I think she was mad that my dad was abusing me and she blamed me. And so that's why she didn't stop it. So those are some ideas. Um, I'd love to hear any other ideas. Um, I, I'll give the phone number out, and if anybody wants to call and, and tell some other ideas about why, our phone number is 646-595-2118. Give us a call. Carrie, back to you. That would be beautiful because I would love that. Now, did you ever have a conversation with your mother about all of this at all? Or you guys no. never got a chance to talk about it? I did not. My mother gave me the opportunity to talk about it about a year before she died. She asked me, she said, did Daddy ever do anything to you? 
and I knew she meant sexually. And I said no, because I could not deal with my mother and talking to her oh. about it. I couldn't. Okay. And so I said no. He had already been okay. dead 10 years. Um, so, And I never Before brought it up with him, except, yeah, yeah. You never brought it up with him except for what? One time he was staying at my house because I'm crazy and I let them visit me. Um, he was staying there, and I had um, holy pictures, what they call them in Catholicism, holy pictures, hanging up in my bathroom because I was abused in the bathroom. And so I felt better with that. So he complained to me that that's not okay. You can't put holy pictures in the bathroom. And I, I looked at him, and I said, we need protection in the bathroom. And I just looked at him, and he didn't, you know, admit anything. Or but I said that to him. Um, that's wow. all I ever did. That's the only thing oh, I ever okay. said to him. But I was uh-huh. um, totally mean to him my whole life. I was like totally. I didn't speak to him. I pretty much gave him the silent treatment. Mm, yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, both of my um both of my adoptive parents are dead now. Um I um my human journey started a, lo- a long a long before they were passed away, but not soon enough. Like my uh, adoptive mother went um the one that adopted me when I was 4, she passed away when I was only 13 years old. And so like mm-hmm. I had a few more things that I needed to go through before um, I was able to come to terms with her. But one of the other things that I figured out as well is one of the um, one of my motivations for having ways to get the adult survivors a level of healing is so that they don't feel the need to um, protect the next abuser. Like I do know. I do believe that my mother herself was abused, and that's why she was able to um, um, pr- protect. Like how you say, how you say they um, they they know that um, that their their husband is or your father is 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 abusing you, but they don't leave him and they don't protect you. One reason for that is because they have also been abused and they never received the healing that they needed so that they could be strong enough to protect you, to protect us. And so, um, so yeah, that, that's, that's one way. Now, um, if we could also, you know, like make sure that was another reason why I wrote the Living Resilient book because it has um, proactive steps and, you know, an adult survivor can go through that book and find their level of resilience. It's a place to start because if you start the healing process somewhere, it can make a difference. You know, you got to start somewhere. 
And I can relate to what you say about how you're not able, like when somebody asks you about it, you have the opportunity to say, to tell the truth, but you change your mind at the in the moment and say no, oh nothing happened, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or, yeah. or or when the the abuser is confronting you and they're saying something, you have the opportunity to 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 call them out, and you choose not to. I've done that too. I have done that too. And um, it, I believe that it has to do with how far along the healing journey that you are. You know, if you haven't healed enough to have the strength to um, tell the truth when somebody asks you or call your abuser out when they're, you know, uh, in your face saying things that, you know, where you have that chance, it's because you're not far enough along your healing journey yet. But when you get there and you have that opportunity, there is nothing like it. Oh, my gosh, there is nothing like it. Yeah. So, did we get any callers? No, I'm afraid there isn't a caller on the line. Bill is on the line, but he's listening. Oh, okay. And okay. so he doesn't have any questions, but that's okay. I have questions. I'm uh, okay. only on Chapter 4 of your book. I'll say the name of the book okay. again. It's Resilience, right? It, does it have a subtitle? Living Resilient. It's Living Resiliently, and the subtitle is Black, Blind, and Female, The Journey Continues. You can find it on Amazon, uh, or you could go to my website, VoicesOfResilience.com, and everything is there. I uh, I think that's where I got it. No, I think I went to Amazon, and I got the Kindle version. And it was oh, a quick yes, read, everybody, yes. but very inspiring read. I recommend it. Um, let's see. It is a quick read. It's very quick read. Plus, it has empty pages, blank pages there, so that if um, people want to take notes, um, you can put notes in the book. So, um, here's another another quote. Um, I like this one: "A raging flame of self-love." I like that. But that's not a question. Um, This one, how many times someone makes the choice to put the safety of a child above and beyond anything else? That's what we want. That's what we want people to do. Put the safety of the child first. How can we get people to do that? Like I said, that's where the healing of the adult survivor comes in, and it it's the the love of children, like understanding that the 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 child the traumatized child ends up growing up to be the unhealed or the wounded adult, okay so when that child hasn't gotten any healing, the choices and the decisions that they can make can have a wide-ranging effect 
on other people. For example, a traumatized child may grow up to be a CEO of a company, and that CEO may not treat the workers of that company with dignity and respect because they have unhealed wounds, right? So yeah, we, I feel like that when when we can protect children from the start and they never have the baggage of abuse to deal with as they grow, they're better able to contribute to the world and make it a better place. There is a saying by Frederick Douglass that says, it is easier to build strong children than it is to fix a broken man. Now, as adult survivors, we don't want to consider ourselves as broken. Um, I don't consider myself broken. I consider myself wounded but healing, okay, because a wound that can heal means you can get better. You can do better. You can be better. But an unhealed wound will fester and just, it will fester and spread the the infection all over. That's like they talk about wounding, like a cancer wound, a cancer. Cancer will spread and affect the whole. Um, so yeah, it, it, it has the wounds have to be healed in order to um, to um, make make people strong enough and aware enough to put the well-being of children first. The other piece I believe is the people that know something need to do something. For example. Martin Luther King says, the silence of the good people is more dangerous than the brutality of the bad people. So when you see brutality and you are being silent, although you are not actually doing the brutality, you're also not doing anything to put a stop to it. And that's where those people that are on the outside looking in, like the next-door neighbor that hears um, things going on in the house next door, and they decide they don't want to get involved, okay? Um, When you understand that that next-door neighbor abuse and the abuse that's going on next door might spill over to your house, you might think twice about not saying anything, right? So Mm -hmm. that's my answer to, you know, how do we get that to happen? And I think um, organizations like this one, the NASCA, National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse, and the Scan, what was the scan? It was uh, Stop Child Abuse Now? Yes, Stop Child Abuse Now. That, these organizations are ways to get the word out and get the work done. So that, these, these are also 
ways that give me a lot of hope is because there's people out there doing it. So I am grateful for that. Yes, I am too. There are so many organizations out there doing good work to stop child abuse and to give support to adult survivors of child abuse. Of course, NASCA is is one of the big ones. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. How about how about this one? I'm feeling wounded. I'll find something that will help me feel better. I love that. Yeah, now that comes from my definition of what forgiveness is. Um, My definition of forgiveness is for me to hurt and suffer less even though I am wounded. And the way I found to make sure that I hurt and suffer less is to put it on a scale, like a scale from 1 to 10. How much am I suffering and how much am I hurting on a scale from 1 to 10? And the goal is to get me down to 1 or 0. On a scale of from 1 to 10, I'm hurting 1 or 0. So if I start out at a 5, what can I do to make myself feel better in the moment so that I'm down to a four or a three? And it can be simple things, simple things like if I hear my favorite song or if I choose to turn on um, an inspirational story or um, the thing about having children in the house is that they? it's always unpredictable of what will make me smile. I have a one-year-old in the house, and his baby giggles are the funniest thing to me. And it doesn't matter. Like, I might be feeling like, like, like on a scale from 1 to 10, I'm an 8, and I'm feeling this 8, and I'm feeling this 8, and all of a sudden I hear him giggle, I'm immediately down to a 5. And if he keeps on giggling... It it starts to make me smile. It starts to make me feel good. And then I have to go and see what's making him giggle, right? And so, like, Mm -hmm. now I'm not feeling so bad, right? And Mm -hmm. so the thing about this forgiveness way is that it doesn't put it in somebody else's court. I don't know if you've heard of the ones where, I mean, I'm not going to say that this kind of forgiveness doesn't have its place because I know it does. But when you have to tell somebody else that you forgive them and whether they accept that or 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 not that your um feelings around that hinge on whether that person will um um take your forgiveness or not and it doesn't make you feel good when 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 you either ask somebody for their forgiveness or you tell them that they that you forgive them and they just blow you off like, oh, so what? No, what do you mean you forgive me? What did I do? I didn't do nothing for you to be forgiving. Or, or if you ask somebody for forgiveness because you think that you've hurt them or upset them in some kind of way and they, and they go, 
I will never forgive you for that. You know, it the ball is in their court, and you have to manage your feelings around their response. But with my definition of me choosing to hurt and suffer less, it's up to me. I get to figure out how much hurting and suffering am I doing right now, and what can I do to make myself feel any better? And um, the other piece that goes with this is that, quote, I, it's been attributed to Nelson Mandela, but I can't find it as a Nelson Mandela quote, but it says, to hold on to bitterness and anger is for you to drink poison expecting somebody else to die. And I'm like, you know, if anger and bitterness inside you amounts to ingesting poison, it can't be good for you. So we don't want anger and bitterness floating around in our system basically killing us. We have to find a way to make sure we don't hold it. And if listening to my one-year-old and his baby giggles is a way for me to let go of bitterness and anger, I will take that. I will take that all day long. Okay. Thank you. Um, how about this one? Don't tone yourself down. In fact, tone yourself up. I love that one, too. Oh, Okay. Now, that one I wrote specifically for us performers um, or, or, or people that um, are, they have this big personality. Um, now, I, I put on uh, one-woman shows, and I started doing that because I wanted to give people a front-row seat of what it looks like when a child is going through abuse. Um, The first show that I did was called Somebody Else's Child. And um, I also grew up in a church where it's, 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 uh, where when you sing gospel music, you put your whole heart into it. I mean, like if you listen to Aretha Franklin and Whitney Houston sing, they have these big voices, and when they're singing, you know, you, you don't get this tiny little song and a tiny little song. No, you get what you want. You know, it's loud. It's big, right? And so um, what happened for me was I found myself um, wanting to share my gifts and my talents, but the people that I was trying to share them with could not handle Like, they didn't want Aretha Franklin. They wanted, um, let me see, who who would be, like, the way end opposite of, like, that. Maybe, like, um, the chipmunks. (laughs) I mean, like, they didn't want me as myself, my whole self. And then when I share my story of overcoming child abuse, they didn't want they didn't want me to talk about that. They said, "Well, can you find other um, obstacles in your life 
that you can talk about overcoming that don't include the child abuse that you went through. And when I tried to tone myself down to meet that demand, I was unhappy. I could not do it. But it's just like any other flame. When you cover up the flame, it goes out. So I didn't allow my flame to go out. I just went and found a way for me to shine so that I'm comfortable shining the way I can shine. And um, so that was why I put my one-woman show together because now I sell tickets and I tell you exactly what you're going to see when I step on stage. If you buy that ticket, that means you can handle it, right? Um, if, if I decide that I'm going to share a song with you, you're going to get the whole thing. I'm going to start that note from my bottom of my diaphragm and belt that right out. And if that's not what you came to see, then I'm not the right singer. You need to be somewhere else, right? But I'm not toning myself down. They just don't come to me. And I also put that in in perspective like the male. Like if you got three people that live at the same house and the mailman drops off the mail, nobody gets offended when they look at the letter and it's not for them. They just pass it on to the person whose name is on it. My message may not be for person A, but if it resonates with person B, that's who the message is for. And I don't get mad if person A couldn't get me. They didn't understand. They didn't know um, what I was talking about. They couldn't relate at all. But I don't want person A getting mad because I'm sharing my message that they don't get and they don't understand because person B got it and it means something to them and it made a difference in their life. So that's that person A just needs to go ahead and find the message with their name on it that they can relate to that works for them. Mm-hmm. How we doing? How we doing? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? We have a caller. I'm going to introduce him here. Uh, let's okay. see. Well, I'm trying to unmute. There we go. Good evening. Is this Philip? Yes, this is Philip. Welcome. Do you have a comment or a question for Carrie? No. Okay. No. Okay, Philip was just listening. Well, thanks for um, being here and thanks for listening. I hope that this is um, doing some good in your life. Thank you for calling. Thanks, Philip. I'll put you back on mute. Okay, here we go. Well, I have my next question, and that is, is your show on YouTube your one-woman show about abuse? Um, From Garbage to Gold is on my website that you can actually, you can watch it from my website. It is on YouTube, but I I don't know how to tell you where to find it on YouTube or how to tell 
It's so weird. Okay. Um, but yeah, I could probably it, do a search of your name, right? If I put your name on YouTube, would it come up? It might, but the last time I tried it, the link was broken. But when you go to my website, it works just fine. So huh, um, okay, you can try Carrie Kelly, and Carrie Kelly is K A R I K E L L E Y, and then it has from garbage to gold. See if you can find that. That's the full-length show that um, you can actually find on YouTube that I have done. The other two that I did, they were not recorded, so I don't have them on YouTube. Okay. I look forward to that. I'm going to watch that tonight. Oh, it's California, and it's early, early in California. Oh, yes. Right. Yes, 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 yes. So we're good. We're happy about that. Yes. Okay. Here's another quote from your book that moves me. I love the carefree spirits that the girls have today as compared to how shut down I was. Now, that refers to my three granddaughters. Um, When they came to live with us, they were seven, four, and six weeks old, right? So yeah. I got to watch. I got to watch them grow up. Now they're like fourteen, twelve, and almost eight. Actually, two of them have birthdays this month. One turns eight, and the other one turns, I think, fifteen. Either fifteen or sixteen. I can't remember now. But because I I remember what it was like for me when I was their age. Um, I I I can see the way they're different, the way they are different. Like they get to like freely speak their mind to 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 people. They don't look down when they're speaking. They they look at you. They talk to you and they're just they just have this confidence. Um and then the other thing is that they're very strong willed. Like I never worry about them getting picked on. Like I got picked on. They will never get picked on because they are they will stand up for themselves. All three of them. Um and so so that that's where that quote comes from. And I put a lot of that in my one-woman show from Garbage to Gold. It was contrasting them at their ages when they came to live with us and what my life was like when I was their age. And um, eight, four, and six weeks, my life looked a lot different than theirs did, than theirs does. And, um, yeah, I was, like, my whole life was way different. It was just, it was something else. So, um, yeah, that that's where that quote comes from. I'd like to comment on my, my experience with that. And, and that is that my granddaughter, I just have one grandchild, she's 15, she looks exactly like me. She looks exactly like me. I put up pictures of me in high school, looks like her. 
Anyway, she always has looked like me, and we have a similar personality. She has, like, all this, you know, I love the theater, I love the singing, I want to write a book, very creative. Um, and I was that way. I was very creative, but it, it was always pushed down in me, and I got to be where I was too scared to show anybody anything I made. And it... It was such a joy, it has been such a joy to watch her grow up because it's like, wow, that's what I would have been, you know? And I'm not, like, jealous or anything. I'm delighted, just delighted with her life um, and and realizing how damaged I was. Well, yeah. I'm doing it now. <laughs> I'm doing right. monologues. Right. Yeah, that it, it can happen. Now, I will tell you, there were days when I did get jealous. Like, you know, the carefree spirit and the way they were able to just run around and be carefree about things. Oh, man, I, I would feel some kind of way. I was like, man, I wish I could have been like that when I was their age. <sighs> you know, um, but it's not the type of jealousy that would make, that would, that would make me allow them to be mistreated. Like, for example, somebody did actually, somebody in the family mistreated them. Like, you know how if you tell kids that you're going to take them to the park tomorrow at 2 o'clock and tomorrow at 2 o'clock shows up and you don't take them to the park, how disappointed they get, you know? Mm-hmm. Um one of my family members did that to the girls, and I was so angry with her. I didn't speak to her for three weeks because she she hurt their feelings. Uh, that's the kind of, like, protection I have for them, but I definitely got jealous when I got, when, you know, they get to be carefree and, you know, just all this, all this, like, energy and, you know, like my whole, my whole upbringing is little girls should be seen and not heard. And, you know, um, any creativity, well, like my voice was my creativity, and my mother would tell me two things. Number one, if I was singing something that was not gospel, that's the devil's music, right? Or if I was singing gospel and she didn't want to hear it anymore, shut up all that noise, right? And so, you know, my creative Activity got shut down, um, and I mean, even to this day, there are things that I will not do that are in the creative space, like vision boards where people want to like um, cut out pictures and put them on a vision board. I do not like that exercise. I will not do it. Um, I can make a list of all the things I want in life and this and that, and and hold on to that list, but. Putting together a vision board is not for me. Um, no, there's just things that I realize, like like you know, they can draw. They draw, um, you know, they draw pictures. They like to, um, um, what else do they like to do? They're very tech savvy, so that's the other thing that's going on with them right now. You know, give them an iPad and you don't have to see them for hours at a time. <laughs> so, um, you know, there's that. But, um, yeah. Okay, ready for the next one? Let's see. Yes. Yes. This yeah. is one of my favorite ones of all. I strive 
to take steps each day to build what matters to me. What are you choosing to build each day, you ask of the reader? I yeah, love that. Well, I'm building things. I really enjoy building. I build good. a garden. Tell me. Oh, yeah, I build a garden. I work on it, you know. And yeah. and it's like, you know, it's a pro a project, but it's like a physical building making something happen, and it's it's so creative. Oh, yeah, garden is beautiful. You watch things grow. Oh, man. I tried to I tried to grow a garden. Um, I got I got it to a certain degree. I was growing some peppers. Oh, this is a funny story. Okay, so I was growing these little lipstick peppers, and like um, they they're little red peppers, and and like these little there was one little tiny one when they got you know when they got grown, and I was ready to pick them. There was a little tiny one. And I popped that little tiny one in my mouth, and I was lit up for 20 minutes. What I found out later is that the smaller the pepper is, the hotter it is. I didn't know that. I thought, oh, it's a tiny little red pepper. It'll be okay. I'll just eat it, you know. Um, Yeah, I lit myself up. I did not know that the tinier the pepper is, the hotter it is. And uh, there was not enough milk in the house. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, gardening. You know, I saw. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to ask you about your your. Go ahead. My what? (laughs) (laughs) We keep stepping on each other. I would like to know about your support system for women. It it says you have a passion to create a support system for women overcoming issues that prevent them from experiencing loving and deeply connected relationships. Tell me about that support system. That is basically where um, when you as an adult survivor and it's kind of connected to that self-love connection um you you we talk to each other about how we are showing ourselves love and then um we we kind of track it to see if it's growing if we're loving ourselves more and loving yourselves more and one of the ways that happens is if you are already in a relationship that um, there needs to be some changes in it? Are you advocating to make those changes so that the relationship is working better? Um, Because as you love yourself, you are no longer able to tolerate um, mistreatment and uh, disrespect and like that. So you know, you 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 find a way to track your self love, and when you have scenarios that come up, this is how you know whether that self love is growing or if you need a little more support around it. Because people will treat you the way you allow them to treat you. 
And um, when you start to self-advocate and say, no, this is not acceptable, I refuse to allow you to treat me this way, that is a sign that you, your, your self-love is growing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, let's see. I'm going through the back of the book. Um, let's see. It looks like, like Bill would like to have a, a question or comment. I'm going to put him in. Are you there, Bill? Hi, ladies. How are you doing? Hi. How are you? Hi. I've been listening Hi. to the whole show, and I've been working in the background. I heard uh, our wonderful host here. She's doing a great job tell you that, but I just listened to the whole show, and um, I'm kind of jealous because you guys are laughing and having a good time. I don't do, do that when I host the show. Jeez. <laughs> You're giggling with each other. <laughs> Which, you know what, um, considering where we come from, and, and especially, you know, uh, how difficult it's been to, to get to this place, um, to be laughing now is a big deal. Don't you agree, Carrie? I mean, it's like... Oh, yes. Uh, I it's, absolutely It's almost agree. miraculous. Because I, oh, I understand that both of you, you were, you were both laughing. It wasn't a strained laugh. You were both, like, laughing from the bottom of your chest, you know. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, <laughs> yes. Definitely. But I think that's one of the um, proof positives that... Uh, you know that healing matters because, believe me, in, in you know, in not so not so long ago, probably each one of us could say, you know, I couldn't I couldn't laugh for you know very much for years. That's the way it was. We didn't have anything yes. to laugh about. Exactly, but, uh, I agree. Yeah, but on our healing journey, we do. You know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I'm very happy yeah. that you came on, Kelly and uh, Carrie, and that. Um, you know, we got to talk about you guys got to talk about some of your books and so forth, and how you how you do things because you're a you're a pretty um, prolific writer, I think. <laughs> the way I see it. But anyway, I've done um, some. Yeah. Go ahead. Anyway, I was just going to say yes. I have contributed to some anthologies, and then um, this Living Resilient book is the second solo book that I've done. So. Right. Yeah, right. Um, but journaling is a jackpot. Journaling is a jackpot. When you write, you are able to express a lot of things that you may not be able to speak with your voice, but you can write it. So it's very cathartic, so I recommend journaling as well. It's something I've not done yet, but a lot of people do do it, and I know it's really beneficial for them. Um, but I, you know, I've done all these shows, but I <laughs> I've done thirty, thirty. What is it? What is it? Uh, thirty. What, what is it, Annie? Thirty-two hundred shows or something? <laughs> oh, let me see. Three thousand one hundred and eighty. Uh, wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. Now, see, so I think there's a, a book there. I think yeah, there well, there's a lot. There's you. a lot on the record there, but I, you know, I don't have time to 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 write write. I don't. I can't stop. This is why, you know, I had to make it, uh, take advantage of the time tonight and wasn't there for the whole show. Oh, I was listening, 
and I'm making a comment now, but I couldn't be engaged all show long because I got I have work that I normally do setting up for next week, frankly, is what it is, on Friday nights. So anyway, mm-hmm. you both gave me that opportunity. I really appreciate appreciate Annie jumping in and I really appreciate you know you know, you're committing to coming on the show, Carrie, and I'm I'm glad that you did. It's nice to get to know you. So thank you very yeah, much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me, and thanks for doing this work. Um, thank you for having this kind of venue because it is definitely needed, someplace for um, the adult survivors to go to get some support um, because, you know, like I said, if the adult survivors can find healing, that makes the pool bigger for protecting the children so we have less child abuse. So, um, yeah, thank you so much for doing this work. Yep, yep, yep. You're absolutely right. You know, and I tell you what, we are getting more voices, but I don't know how how many more guests we're getting. We're getting more voices, but we'll we'll figure it out. We're trying to, you know, reestablish some of the things that we were doing because we were – kind of uh, an innovative type organization at one point. Now a lot of organizations have followed suit. <laughs> they do the same thing. So <laughs> we're, we're our own worst enemy. <laughs> um, well, I don't, no, I don't know if I'd see it that way because when you have as much as much healing that needs to be done that, and what you are doing is working, then, I you know. know, there's enough work to go around. So, um, I agree. You know, I agree. There's that. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm half joking and half not joking. <laughs> All right. right. Well, listen, right. we're going to invite you back because, Carrie, and you can come back, you know, and be a panelist, too, if you see a show coming up that you think might be interesting to you, or you just not have anything to do on the night, uh, check in. But, you know, you're now a member of the NASCA family, as you probably have been told, Um I think I might have told you in an email, but uh, that means that you are, you know, you can, this is your website, this is your radio show, and this is your effort, just like it is everybody else's. And we will have you back and check in with you about where you've gone, you know, in the next, let's say, a year from now or something like that, all right? But if you have any reason reason that you want to come back before that, please get in touch with me because I I have no problem inserting you somewhere else, all right? Okay, thank you so much. Okay, I'll say goodnight to you now and, and uh, say goodnight to Annie. Thank you so much, ladies. Really good show. Have a great evening. Okay, thank you. So, Annie, did you you uh, have any more um quotes or comments or anything? I do. I have the last things I highlighted in your book. The last phrase was, if you hear the dogs, keep going. I love that. And another one was, if you want a taste of freedom, keep going. And I I know that feeling of hearing the dogs, of just feeling like someone is after me and I'm terrified. But now I don't hear the dogs anymore. I'm not scared anymore. But I'm still going to keep going because I got that taste of freedom, the freedom of healing. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yes. 
That um, quote is actually from Harriet Tubman. Um, you know, uh, it, back in her time, those were literal dogs. Um, and, and freedom meant something completely different when she was saying it. Um, but, you know, for today's uh, uh, metaphor, well, the use of um, that quote to make the metaphor, the dogs that I'm thinking of is, are those voices, those very loud voices that are either inside your head or they're actual people trying to keep you stuck, trying to keep you from realizing your full potential. Um, like, you know, if if you have a certain dream or a certain goal that you're trying to reach and either your inner critic or your the, the people around you that um, want, want to share their reasons why you maybe shouldn't do this and shouldn't do that and what if and what if and, and what will happen if you and um, um, what are you going to do in, when that doesn't go the way you want it. All of that, those are the voices. But if you really set your mind and, you know, decide to tune them out, you can reach for your dream, your goals, and, and, and the freedom that you want your life to look like. And I know what you mean about tasting that freedom. I mean, like, the freedom of just sharing my story, like sharing what I've been through and the healing process of it all and just um, getting that feedback after I've done this, like, there might be somebody that will reach out after this call is over to say that it mattered. Something that they heard on this call makes a difference for them. Um, mm-hmm. That has happened to me numerous, numerous times. And it shows up when I'm not sure if this ever happens to um, other adult survivors, but when you get to the point where you're sharing your story, and then there's that one day where you you don't feel like sharing your story. Uh, like, I don't want to open up all those wounds. I don't want to talk about this anymore. I don't feel like it. And then somebody will call you or you'll get an email or a text message from somebody that heard you speak before, they heard parts of your story, and they say, you know, I saw this and that and the other thing, and I remembered what you said. If you see something, say something. So I call CPS because I thought, you know, and that is those, those are the ones that keep me going. Those are the ones that make me feel like, okay, I'll share my story one more time. Let me get on stage one more time. Let me call NASCA one more time because it might make the difference for somebody. So, you know, uh, you no, saved let me lives. Keep going. Let me keep going. Huh? Yes? You have saved lives. You've helped people help children. Yes. That's, and and, and that's, that's great. what keeps me going. That's what keeps yeah. me going that when I'm when I hit that wall 
um, I realize that it's bigger than me, and that's the other reason why I think it's a big deal that I survived uh, at 14 months old something horrific that could have killed me, And but I'm still here today. I am 53 years old. Yay! All right, okay, you know, it's celebration time. I am not one of these people who, I'm too, I don't want to tell my age. I'm a lady, a real lady don't tell her age. Well, maybe if a real lady realizes how, what she survived and the fact that she's still here, then every day on this side of the dirt is a blessing. So, yeah. That's right. (laughs) Wonderful. (laughs) Okay, well, part of your book was about um, kiss to make it better. When when a little one has an owie, you kiss it and make it better. And I just love what you said at the end. You can know that you can choose to turn your, um, it says them, but your, your hurt, into a badge of honor and a testament to what you have survived. So it's exactly. not something to be ashamed of, because we right. have no no uh, you know no guilt in it. It's not something to be ashamed of. We can be proud to say, "I survived this, and I'm going to help other people." Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely, and yeah, and I am so grateful for this platform and um, a, a place where we can come and share our stories so that um, it, if it helps somebody else, then um, we, our job is done. I um, um, There's like a few more minutes here, and um, let me, if I can, just share a piece of a little song that also is like the theme song. It's like my... It's like my anthem song for what the work that I'm doing and um, anybody that's doing this kind of work, um, you, can, you can take the words of this song and apply them. And it's called, If I Can Help Somebody. If I can help somebody as I pass along. If I can cheer somebody with a word or a song, if I can show somebody that they're traveling wrong, then my living shall not be in vain. That is my theme song. That is the song that... I do to keep me going. <laughs> Thank you. Did you write that song? No. Um, what is her name? Um, Alma Basil. Uh, oh, what is her last name? It was written in 1945 by Alma Basil, and I cannot remember her last name, but I, I used to know it by heart. Alma Basil. But you can find it. You can find it. Um, actually, um, Mahalia Jackson made it famous, but Alma wrote it 
and she uh, uh, was a piano player back in 1945. She wrote that song. So, um, yeah. But, um, Thank you I for singing that. It was very beautiful and very wonderful words. What a great sentiment. Thank you. We have six minutes and 30 seconds left. And so I would like if you would tell the audience again about the titles of your books and where to find them, your website, and your One Moon Play. Just remind them of where they can see all of this. Okay. Everything can be found on my website, voicesofresilience.com, all one word. You can find my books, my anthologies, my one-woman shows, some of my Toastmaster speeches. Uh, I was a star of an eight-minute documentary called Gifted Messenger. You can find that there. And you can follow me on all my social media um, on my website. Everything that you want to see is there. I also have a newsletter that I'm sending out. So um, if you want to join the newsletter, there's a place for that. And um, that that is the letter that I send out once a month to let people know what happened the month before and what to look forward to in the month coming up. So um, you know, there's a lot there's a lot going on, and uh, that's where you can find everything. All right, that's where I'm going to go after the show is All over right. because I want. I want to see the one-woman show. I'm trying to put together a one-woman show because I do monologues and I do um, costumes. I do monologues of famous women, like I did Annie. Oh, wow. Yeah. And Mrs. Claus. I did Mrs. Claus. You know, you don't hear much from her. (laughs) So I'm hoping to put together my little stories and make a one-woman show like what you have done. That's great. Oh, I can't wait to watch you. Okay, you'll be great. You'll you'll do great when you do yours. I'm looking forward to it, and let me know when you do it so I can support you. Thank you. I'm thinking maybe I could put a monologue on YouTube. I haven't done that yet, but maybe I will. Yeah, it can be done. It can Gotta be put done. These costumes to use. <laughs> right there, you go. There you go. <laughs> Okay. Well, we've still got three minutes, and um, let's see if I can get a good question for you to end with. Choose how you define success. How about that? That's one of your suggestions. I find success by measuring the growth, how different and how much better am I today than I was yesterday? What is something that I was not able to do yesterday that I am willing to do today? What is something that I did not know how to do yesterday that I've learned how to do today? 
simple successes matter too. They also count. Little victories matter too. That's how I define success. Mm-hmm. I like that. Little victories matter. I I celebrate my little victories like, hey, I got the trash out to the barrel. That's a victory. Okay. Celebrate. It is. <laughs> it's it the is. small things that I manage to complete. I'm happy about them. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. Small victories matter, too. Yeah. And let's see. we got another two minutes. We still have two minutes. Um, what steps can you take to build the life you want? The first step is to get clear on what that life is that you want. Like, there are people who know exactly what they don't want. I know what I know. I don't want to live over here. It's too hot. I don't want to live over there. It's too cold. You can talk about all the things you don't want, but once you get clear about what you do want, you can focus on uh, on on making that happen. You know, um, like it, it kind of works like a diet. If you know what size you want to get to, you can build you can build yourself up to that. You know. Um, and and if you can stay consistent, that's the other thing. That struggle, that is my personal struggle, consistency. I can be on a diet for three days, but day four, that's a challenge. Day five <laughs> is a bigger challenge, right? So the consistency yeah. is the other. First thing is clarity. Second thing is consistency. And that's how you build the life that you want. Beautiful. Thank you. And thank you again for being our guest tonight. I hope that I will hear you on the radio. You can call into any show and become a panelist, Carrie, and make comments and ask questions of the other guests. I I would love to hear you. And I'm going to say this has been (laughs) Stop Child Abuse Now Scan Radio Show number 3180. And I am Annie Margis. And I'm going to play the music now. Good night. You can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. 
Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.